Hello, how are you doing? My name is Matt Barr and you're listening to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. This is a podcast where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. So uh, thank you as ever for listening to and or downloading the show and I hope you enjoy it. We're on episode 18, if you can believe that. So I hope everyone's doing well. I'm just back from a lovely three days in County Clare in Ireland. Uh, I stayed in La Hinch on the West Coast and I had a very enjoyable time visiting friends, having the odd surf. I did my usual of perfectly arriving in between the two swells, but still got a few waves, which is good. Caught up on some local gossip, did a bit of sightseeing and took care of some podcast business, which went really well. So well, in fact, that what you're listening to here is part one of a special three-part Irish omnibus, which is my interview with Irish surfer and farmer Fergal Smith. So if you've been listening to this for a while, you're probably overly familiar with my tagline, which is that I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. And this one definitely fits into that category. For the uninitiated... Fergal Smith is one of Ireland's most prominent big wave surfers and he initially came to prominence through the surf media media as basically a charger who grew up surfing Ireland's extremely intimidating slabs and reefs before taking those skills onto a world stage, snagging sponsorship, heading off to places like Tahiti, so far so conventional and for a while that gave him a very prominent and enjoyable career. Then when he was 24 and recovering from an injury in Tahiti, Fergal had what can only really be described as an epiphany and he headed back to Ireland and gave up flying and traveling and soon dedicated himself to what he spent the last six years working on, which is uh, creating creating an organic farm on the outskirts of La Hinch. Along with his friends and fellow chargers, Matt Smith and Mitch Corbett and a whole host of helpers and supporters, Fergal began with a community garden which soon grew into the project's current incarnation, the 17-acre Moy Hill CSA farm, through which they grow organic veg and feed 50 local families from a spot on a hill overlooking uh, La Hinch Bay. And now the boys, led by Fergal, have embarked upon the project's most ambitious stage, which is launching a crowdfunding campaign with which they hope to move on to an even bigger site and feed around 150 families. So I've known Fergal for a while, and I've been wanting to go and visit the farm for years, so the uh, launch of the crowdfunder seemed the right time for a podcast-themed busman's holiday. So I got to the farm on a beautiful sunny day, headed up to Moy Hill, and uh, me and Fergal took a walk around the farm and recorded the podcast as we went. As with the earlier episode with DJ Barbecue, that kind of freeform approach means the audio on this one can be a little all over the place, particularly at the start. So I hope the, mo- the more frequency-sensitive among you can forgive me for that. I'm also aware that the podcast isn't particularly the best medium for describing a farm. But, you know, people seem to be digging the more atmospheric episodes. And this one's definitely in that camp if you can get with the chicken, bird, wind and pig noises, which uh, which all feature. Above all, with this one, I wanted to find out more about Fergal's goals and ambitions and also how Moy Hill, which is a community supported farm, actually works, which is something we discuss in depth. Fergal's got a lot of interesting things to say, as you're going to hear, about leadership, about our responsibilities to nature and of being part of something bigger than yourself. At a relatively young age, he's only 30 now, uh, he's made fearless life choices, as you'll hear. And speaking to him, I was also struck by the breadth of his vision and ambition. 
he wants nothing less than to create a native ecosystem that can support his local community. Then there's his energy, as well as the visionary behind the farm. He's behind Home Tree, um, which is a charity designed to try and reintroduce native woodland to the local environment. He's run for parliament as green candidate. He's bringing up a young family. And he's also, lest we forget, still absolutely charging whenever it's firing at the cliffs or mully. In short, this quiet, confident, fairly unassuming man is an absolute force of nature who's unafraid of speaking truth to power. And if that isn't one of the most interesting stories in action sports right now, then I really don't know what is. So yeah, top episode this with a modern day agricultural firebrand, in, albeit in a very softly spoken way. So here it is, my interview with Irish surfer and farmer Fergal Smith on Becoming the Change. Enjoy. So Ferg, how are you? I'm good. It's a Monday and the sun is shining, so we're, yeah, we're all happy on the farm. So, so tell me where we are. We are uh, above La Hinch in County Clare. It's um, about four miles south on top of a hill overlooking the bay. Uh, we have a 17-acre kind of wet, windy, boggy hill where we grow our vegetables. And yeah, it's in kind of middle of September, getting to the end of the busy growing season. Okay, so this looks like the main this is the main field, right? So we've just walked from our packing shed and our kitchen and kind of where everything kind of gets packed and sorted. So the f closest beds to, the closest veg to the tunnel is the ones that you pick most regularly. Okay. And the tunnels that you go into a lot more than outside are all closer to the shed. Yeah. So there's kind of four polytunnels around the shed. The smaller, more intense um, little raised beds are close to the shed where your strawberries and your herbs and things you pick reg regularly like kale and chard and salads and courgettes. And then it goes further down the field, it goes into things that stay in the ground longer. Yeah. You don't need to go as often down to, to get. So yeah. So how, So what are, you, what are you growing? I can see some fennel. Yeah, fennel bulbs. See some chard. There's chard, there's kale, courgettes, parsley. Uh, on this side, the spring onions, lettuce, beetroot. There was loads of spuds we dug out here. There's rocket gone in there. Further down, there's m more lettuce, more chard, more spring onions, more kale, celery, Brussels sprouts, leeks, turnips. Yeah, that's you're busy. Yeah. So how so how many are you? How many of you guys are, uh, are involved um, in this? So it's Moy Hill Community Garden, right? That's what it's called. It's Moy Hill CSA Farm up here, and okay. there's Moy Hill Community Garden, which we started. Oh, that was the original one. That's where it started in the yeah. community garden, and then it scaled up to a CSA farm, which means community supported agriculture. And then yeah, now we're in the process of buying more land, which will be Moy Hill Community Farm, which is kind of going to be. The CSA model, but also, you know, more teaching, more animals, more kind of events, more kind of bigger community side of things. Yeah. Give me a quick overview then of, um, of how it all started. So, you, you know, I, I, know the, I know the story about how you started the garden, but obviously this is like a, a much bigger operation. So, yeah, talk, talk me through where it all sort of came from. Uh, well, I grew up on an organic farm, so this isn't new to me, really. Like this kind of style of farming, um, going to market and all that was what I grew up with. So I always knew I'd come back to some version of it at some stage. And I, yeah, I was traveling, going around the world, having a great time. And 
it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks when I was in Tahiti once and that yeah like what am I doing really at the end of the day just surfing and getting paid to do it and not really leaving a positive mark on the the places I go and yeah I just realized I have a chance to grow food I know how to do it and yeah it's kind of I kind of feel like it's almost my duty that I had to do it right and yeah it just came to me very clearly what I had to go and do was that and was that something that you'd been thinking about for a while uh, it, I always, I suppose, known it deep down, but it kind of just hit me in, in a big wave when I was about 24 in Tahiti. And I hit my knee and I was sitting on a couch for a couple of weeks in Tahiti wondering what I was going to do. And then I was like, yeah, really, I, I know what I need to do. And right. I've come back and I thought about doing, the, the dream has always been very clear and very you know precise all along that I wanted to have this full community farm. Right. And when I came back, I looked at doing that and buying a, nearly an 80 acre farm having a huge loan and all that stuff and I almost did it and then I went hold on a second you know let's tone this down and do it the other way around so yeah. I, I started with the half acre community garden which I did for two years which is still there now but yeah. it's then we moved on to a borrowed piece of land which we were growing on for two years and then we bought this place and now we're here two years and now we're buying the bigger plot so yeah it's, it's, well we, we can talk about that because actually your crowdfunding project that you've gone at the minute so you started small. So how many people were involved in the original community garden then? In the very beginning, I just came home and I started. And it was actually my wife now who started with me, Sally, at the very beginning. But it was, you know, Mitch was living with me at the time, Mitch Corbett. And yeah. he instantly, you know, joined in with me and got into it. And not long after, Matt was in Ireland, he joined in as well. Matt and Smith. Yeah, so yeah. before long, they were doing it. And, and so many others have always been around and helping as well. But I suppose those guys felt it the most strongly and have right. been, you know, key, in, you know, a part of it since the start. And yeah, then when this land came for sale and stuff, they, yeah, they were just, they were so in for it that we all just did it together. Okay. So how did you raise the money to buy the land then? Because what is this, 16 acres? This is 17 acres. 17 acres. Um, it was just the three of us pitched together and right. yeah, we bought it out of our own pocket. Right. Okay. And you were saying earlier that you've, when you moved up here, you had no, uh, not only did you not have any electricity or running water, you had no road. Yeah, there was nothing here. Like the place hadn't been farmed in about 20 years. And there was a farm track in about halfway. And then, yeah, which wasn't really drivable. And yeah, the whole site was, uh, yeah, basically just a, a wild overgrown boggy field. And we had to start from total scratch. And yeah, it's been a, a crazy kind of two years getting it up and running but it's yeah the the mad infrastructure stage is starting to slow down now and right we're getting into the more growing veg part of it right so how long did it take to actually get this this land in a position where you could get it to where it looks like today where you know you've obviously done a year and there's, there's crops and there's yeah. a harvest we did it we, we did half we did all this side of the garden so there's two sides and we yeah. did all this uh, side last year as well yeah and now we've done this side again this year and then half the other side right so we just scale up another kind of 50% but um we got the site in like September so we worked all through the winter with diggers and building roads and then we started planting that spring okay but now see last last summer we were building sheds and tunnels and all that and this year they're all done yeah so now it's a lot more kind of easier just to be concentrating on the veg and yeah yeah and you were living here as well when you were doing all this yeah at the very beginning i was living with my family in the yurt um because making decisions off-site is very tricky because 
you know, they're for life where you plan, where you make these decisions. And it was nice to be here at the very beginning. And once it kind of got settled and set up, then I moved off just to keep the vibe really about, you know, a community farm for people to come and work and not a family place of living. Yeah. It gets complicated if you have that. So, yeah. I mean, you're so, here, you're so immersed in it that I'm yeah. sure you must have, there must be times when you, you need to sort of step away. Oh, totally. chickens. You just don't, you don't stop when you're living here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we have our little flock of chickens that we move around and feed us. But um, yeah, all these ideas are just kind of in small scale. And then once we have this new farm, we'll but yeah, we will be up in these ideas and feed more people is the game. Right. So tell me about that because um, it might it might be good actually if you could if you could explain. It. I mean, you did a little bit earlier. So it's a it's a community project basically. Um, so was that always the idea that you would you would use this place or, or the farm that you created to, to feed the community? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the, the motives for doing it in the first place. It's certainly not a business model for us to make money. Right. Even though we really feel passionate and we have to make it make money because if it doesn't make money, no one else is going to do it. So yeah. it has to really work financially. Yeah. But like we could be selling this veg to loads of restaurants and different things of that but it's really key to us that it goes to the community so how does that work practically Um, practically it's uh it's a membership based that's how we do it so people sign up to the farm based like a subscription for the year and they either pay up there's three different styles either you pay all up in one go in two installments or by standing order yeah and it's just all about trying to take the admin and that money stuff out of the farmer's life okay and all we have to do is grow veg and have your number of members that you have and we com- they commit to us and we commit to them okay and you take out of this you know consumerism if they want it, trying to sell them stuff it's like this is good food we will supply you good food and you supply us with the you know the funds that allow us to do it yeah and obviously this project is is all about the community that you're trying to create as well and you know you were saying you do the the Tuesdays, like the volunteer days, right? So, see so how many people are you getting in to help with that? Yeah, like it's it's a lot more than just um, getting veg out to members, and that's it. Like it's all about these. The reason why it's a membership as well is to have a direct relationship with people about what we're trying to do. Yeah, and getting them here in as many ways as possible. So, we have our volunteer day once a week that people can come and help, and they can obviously learn how to grow veg and help us and help their food grow and meet people and all that side of it. But then we do lots of other things where like Brian, our chef who lives here, does a cookery class once a month. We have at least one music um, gig once a month and just trying to do as many different things on the farm that brings people here. Yeah. That it becomes their farm that they can come and use and enjoy. And there's, you know, there's a little playground for the kids and it becomes a place that you want to come and hang out on and you know, help in some way or just be involved in. And it, it just brings the farm a lot more energy and good vibes and people seeing the place and enjoying it. And so, yeah, we're always trying to link in our members and just the, the locals and community around us as, in as many ways as we can. So were you inspired by other examples of this? Yeah, yeah. So I've always had this idea of how I wanted it to be. And then kind of the CSA is basically... Uh, is a term and a style that really encompasses a lot of what I was dreaming of and thinking of. Right. 
and then we went to the UK on a road trip um, two years ago. Oh yeah, that's when you I saw you in London, right? Yeah, yeah so we yeah. all drove around in a van for two weeks and visited kind of 12, 15 different CSA farms. And it was amazing, like just right. seeing, you know, CSA farms that have been operating for 15 years and, you know, they have 150 members, they feed them year round, there's people employed, it works. Yeah. Like that for us was really important to see. Yeah. There's even better examples longer running in Europe, but then I feel the UK diet is a lot more similar to the Irish one and the climate. So we kind of, that's why we went there more so. And yeah, they work, you know. Right. These CSA models have been working for over 30, 40 years. Really? Okay. And they feed communities and people are employed and people are connected to the land. And yeah. Yeah, it's taking the power back, really, that you, you know where your food comes from. You're helping people grow the food. People growing the food are helping you stay healthy. Yeah. There's all that community engagement, which is kind of lost in a, a Western society these days. Well, in, in your crowdfunder page, and like I say, we'll talk a little bit more about in detail about that, but you talk about uh, like sovereignty, you know, this idea of yeah. like, of taking back, I mean, this is a bit of a, in the UK cliched phrase right now, but you know, taking back control, but you're talking of like the, the food, the water, like the land. And yeah. that is, that, that belief and that, that, is is at the heart of this basically it's some of the things that are really yeah key to why we're doing it like basically if we weren't growing food for ourselves where would we be getting our food from you know it's it's very hard to get local you know you can call it organic or basically chemically free food is um very hard to come by and other than that like most people are buying imported non-organic food like 70 percent of our food or vegetables in this country are imported from a long way away right as well yeah um, and even if they're not from like a lot of this holland and spain but like you know that wasn't on a plant like probably two weeks ago yeah and you're not going to get the best out of that food yeah it's just not possible and it's all grown on an industrial model so they're not being cared for in the best way. The land hasn't been cared for the best way. The employees probably weren't in the best care either. So you're supporting a model that you don't really agree with. So we have to, yeah, take our kind of food sovereignty back and feed ourselves and feed our community and, and involve our community to help us do it as well. It's, yeah. Is it is it something that you think's um, got the potential to be adopted on a on a far wider scale? Totally, like it is going to be adopted. It is being adopted. The like the UK is growing all the time. They're total success stories. It's just I think the hardest thing is it's it's a it's a conversation you need to have with your community, and that takes time. You know, you the, the farmer or the community who want the farmer to be a CSA model. It takes time to change people into that way of thinking. Yeah. So it's not it can't happen overnight. But basically, our kind of goal or mission is to get our farm working the way we want it to be in the scale that feeds people, employs people and it works. Yeah. And the land is getting cared for. And then there's a model because up to now there is a few other CSA farms in, in Ireland, but they're not, you know, they're not inspiring enough for other farmers to do it. And we need to make it, you know, a model that is inspiring and works and then also show the blueprint or the steps yeah. how to go and do it. Why are they not inspiring? What What is it about them that... Is, that is... Well, they're just in the same boat we are. They're at this kind of at the start. It's that kind of struggle of setting up and trying to make a living. Like yeah. Trying to make a living out of growing food is next to impossible. Yeah. Food is, you know, it's not valued. It's the cheapest it's ever been in history when it should be more expensive than it's ever been. But we don't seem to value food highly enough 
for it to be, you know, charged more. So people are trying to make a living. So they're caught in this tangle of trying to make a living, but also trying to do this great thing of this community farm. So yeah, yeah. How, how are you finding that balance personally then? Yeah, we don't make a cent here. Like no, no one takes a wage out of the farm. Every bit of money we do make goes straight back in. And that's just because we're on a very clear mission that we need to make this work. Yeah. But for a lot of people, like they can't risk, you know, and we've been lucky enough that all of us have been professional surfers and we've been had sponsorship up till recently. And me and Matt still have, Mitch doesn't anymore, that just about pays our life here. Okay. If we didn't have that, right? yeah, it would be much harder. Right. Did it feel like a risk then? That's the word you just used. Um, no. Like, I, I suppose for me, my background, knowing how to grow food, like, I know what it takes to make it work. Yeah. And we won't make ever really much money, but I know it can work. It's hard work, but we'll yeah. make it work. And, yeah, it's just important that we do it. And th there is risks financially, but I don't really care because it's too important. It's too important for my kids. Yeah. That that they have a healthy community and good food and stuff around them, so yeah, it kind of we have to take the the chance on it. So this is Owen, right? Yeah. What's he up to? He we were digging spuds yesterday, and what we do after the spuds have been dug out is we then take out all the weeds, right, and take it totally weed-free, and then we sow what's called a green manure. So you're, we're sowing clover, uh, winter vetch, and uh, ryegrass to cover the bare soil for the winter. Yeah. Because if we just dug the spuds and left it bare ground, the winter rain and wind and stuff would just wash out all the nutrients. Okay. So we cover it in a in a good grass. Rather than just letting your normal weeds take over, Yeah. we put down what we like. That's going to help the soil and it'll be easier for us to deal with in the spring. Okay. So we're just covering it after after he takes the weeds out. Right. And this is, we're just coming up to the, the polytunnel that you guys built. Yeah, so it's um, not having much money. It's been obviously a struggle. Um, we had two tunnels given to us. They're only small, but they were recycled. So we took them down and put them back up. Yeah. But they weren't of total fit for purpose size. So we've had this dream of having the right size tunnel that we want. And we built it ourselves to take down the cost. Because usually tunnels are about three grand or so for a big tunnel. Right. But we just bought the steel and bought the plastic and bent it and did it ourselves and it was about 1800 euro or something so yeah you can save a good bit of money and you can make it exactly made like made to measure sizes which is lovely it's exactly the length we wanted the width we wanted and that kind of stuff so yeah so you got tomatoes courgettes yeah french beans cucumbers chilies basil yeah things like that how so many things are you growing on it do you, do you know i don't know i think it's about 40 or something like that okay yeah I'm not really sure. Right. And is it a year-round um, you know, yield? Uh, there will be food year-round. Like, we can't do our membership year-round because we just haven't got the... Basically, for year-round food, you need kind of more acreage outdoors for that bulk crop of storage for the yeah. winter. And we're in that market garden phase of kind of like small space, but lots grows in there. Yeah. But we don't have uh, that storage, so we'd have veg in the tunnels and stuff for ourselves over the winter, but not enough to keep the membership going. Okay. So for now we're doing. So last year we did 22 weeks. This year we're doing 26 weeks, so yeah. it's six months now. And every year we'd like to just increase that a few weeks. So hopefully we'll do 30 weeks next year. And as we expand, we'll hopefully get to 40 weeks would be lovely. And then after that we'll see. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you're you've mentioned a couple of times that. Your, your dad is an organic farmer, right? 
He is, yeah. So did you grow up learning um, about this world and about the skills? Yeah, like I, I suppose I, I was never formally taught. I was just uh, taught what to do. Right. And uh, yeah, you just learn by os osmosis. And But I really enjoyed it. Like I really like was a happy kid in the garden. I never complained that I had to go to work or anything. Yeah. Like my brother and sister don't really have much interest in it. Right. But I, um, I actually really loved it and I always did. Should we go and check the view? Yeah. Right. So you, you as a kid, you were, you were just curious about about it. And I loved it. Yeah. yeah. I was always out there helping them and happy to do it. The only conflicting thing that happened was uh, surfing. Right. And it was Dad's fault in the first place. He he's the one who started it. Because you lot were brought up in Westport, was it? Yeah. And then we used to go down to Ackle Island in the summers on the weekend. Yeah. That was our kind of holidays because as a farming family, you just don't get to get away. Right. So we went down to Ackle and Dad started surfing and me and my brother did as well and that was it. And because where we lived was about 40 minutes from the sea, Right. it was either you were gardening or you were going surfing. It didn't. It was hard to, really hard to do the both. Yeah. So to me, I thought you either had to be a gardener or you could be a surfer. I didn't think you could have both. Yeah. So I just couldn't wait to not garden in the end and go surfing. So as soon as I was old enough, I was gone. And yeah, I surfed for, you know, 10 years. Yeah. Out. But then when I was living in Clare for the winters and traveling every summer, I started to realize that I wanted to grow veg. And in Clare, the coastline is a lot closer and kind of compact than Mayo or in Sligo and stuff. And yeah, you can live on the coast in Clare and everything's really close to you. Yeah. But you can still be gardening as well. Yeah. So we can see, again, I'll, I'll put pictures up, but that's La Hinge down there. Yeah, so you can see Lahinch right out kind of towards the end of Liscanner and yeah. you can kind of see what the ways are doing and it just makes life so easy, you know. We can, I can stand here for 10 minutes, see what the ways are doing and then feel comfortable that I'm going to work and not miss anything. Yeah. Or I can go, oh, it looks like it'll be pretty good, see what time the tide is and go, I'll stop working in yeah. two hours and go for a surf and come back. Yeah, yeah. And your life can actually blend into the two of them quite well. But where I grew up, where my dad's growing still, it just wasn't possible. And I was, yeah, I was getting really, uh, you know, it's quite stressful. Like the idea of driving in the, in the car for an hour just to go and check the waves. Right. And then it might not even be that good. Yeah. And then you drive around for an hour and then drive home and you've driven for three hours. Yeah. Just for a surf. A lot of, you know, I think for a lot of people, certainly some of my friends, that's almost part of the deal. I know. <laughs> and surf. I was, I was that, that's how I grew up. That's what I did for yeah. my whole oh, childhood. Let's just go and check the next one. You know, but here it's like I can look down. It is shit, so let's not go driving around. Yeah, today and I can just keep doing something more productive. Yeah, but then you can so, see so clearly when it's good. You're like, oh shit! I don't care what needs to be done in the garden. I'm down. The ways are too good. I'm going now, and that really just it keeps you keeps you sane, basically. Yeah. yeah. So how often are you surfing? In the summertime, it's it's little. Like because the days are long, we usually go down in the evening just for a splash and go for a dip. But the waves are pretty crap here in the summer. Yeah. So it's just a dip in the sea and a swim and kind of wash off the dirt. But the the only tricky time we really have at the farm is spring and autumn. When it's good. Because when the waves are good in spring, yeah, the garden is really hectic. And then in the autumn, it's not as hectic in the garden, but there's still things to do. So there's a tricky little couple of weeks either side of the summer. And then in the winter, it's fine. Like, yeah. You know, we surf in the winter. The garden's pretty quiet and you can, yeah, you can surf through the winter. So when you had that moment in Tahiti, you must have been thinking as well, you know, because the waves are so good here. Was that, did that help? 
the you know the decision to to sort of turn you back on that career that you had totally like i also you know i have always said you, you had an enviable career really on the face of it you know for a lot of people like that's that's something you know you yeah. sponsored filming yeah traveling like so it was everything i dreamed that i wanted to do and the, what, what it was is is it was i was in debt all the time just about paying bills through sponsorship yeah and then just True. as i became do you want that noise or do you want to go further away oh uh, we can well let's just keep walking yeah we're well, going to see pigs actually yeah i drove past some pigs on the way in so yeah. cool um yeah so it was the moment i i actually got out of debt and i made started to make a plus right it didn't feel right anymore right i couldn't justify traveling just to make money out of surfing yeah and then i was like okay now i need to rethink all this and then i also i like i'd always tell people my you know my favorite ways in the world are in ireland yeah and my favorite place to be is ireland so i'm kind of like then what am I doing? Like it's, I almost felt like I was not honouring the place that I loved the most. Right. You served places like Chopes, you were saying. And how did it match those expectations that you had when you started that career? Yeah, it was exactly how I, I dreamed it. It was better than I dreamed it at times. Obviously, some bits weren't as good as I dreamed it. But yeah, surfing waves in Tahiti and Fiji and places like that were, you know, phenomenal. And surfing... The most beautiful, best waves in the world with the best surfers in the world. Like it was that combination that was what I was really dreaming of. It was not just the best waves because I actually can get that here, but it was also surfing with the best in the world and being able to catch as good waves as those people and to really test could I do it. And yeah, it was amazing. It really was. Right. And are you, are you getting that from surfing here still? Uh, is, that, is that what you're looking for when you're surfing? It, it was for a long time. Um, and then I suppose I kind of achieved a lot of the things that I was intending to achieve. Um, and, you, and it's not burnout, but it's kind of like that energy is so up all the time. It's quite intense that you're, you know, on the edge, pushing yourself all the time. Yeah. That I suppose naturally having kids, starting a garden... I've done a, a a pretty massive life change, and it's um, just a lighter, softer kind of kind of energy now. And I go surfing because I love it and I enjoy it. And yeah. when the waves are really good, I'm out there just as much as before. But it's probably not as intense, kind of you know, pushing myself energy. But it's actually a lot more enjoyable. I end up maybe surfing a few less waves. Yeah. But I sometimes would ride just as good waves. Yeah. Just a lot more kind of calmly and just at my own kind of pace and what suits the family. And yeah, it's a lot more enjoyable actually when you just fit it in in your life. And well, it sounds like you found the balance that perhaps you were looking for. Yeah. It was certainly very intense before. Like I, you know, I couldn't commit to any, any engagement or any date with anyone because I didn't know if I'd be chasing a swell somewhere. And yeah, it's just all about that kind of pushing yourself all the time. Yeah. And I think that was something I really was missing because because I was so about myself getting really good waves. I wasn't a part of any community. Right. I couldn't really commit to helping anyone. Did you not find a community among like your peers, your contemporaries? Yeah, totally. But it's surfing is an individual sport. Yeah. You know, it's you and your decisions and how how hard you want to push yourself. Yeah. And I, I think I really missed the community connections of being there for people. And like, you know, we feed people every week and that's really real. And it feels, it's a nice, it's a different feeling. It's, and it's really nice. So 
I think I missed a bit of that. There we go then. So who are these? Um, this is our three <laughs> pigs. Holly's our big one. She's a saddleback. That's Willow and Hazel. Oh, is Hazel the one from the the web the YouTube series? I think. I think Holly would be. Holly's right. the first one I got. Okay. She's the big girl that I had first, and she actually started my kind of being committing to things. She right. was the first thing I ever committed to, really. When you got into this? Yeah, when I came back, I started the community garden. People were telling me pigs are really good for rooting things. Right. And I don't like to talk about things, so I just went for it. Okay. And it was such an overwhelming feeling of, oh, shit. Right, I've, got, to, a, I've got a pig. I've got to feed a pig <laughs> every day. Like, I can't not feed her. Yeah. And it was so overwhelming. It was the first time I had this responsibility. I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. And actually, like, a week after I got Holly... It was an amazing swell for two weeks that I was go I was going away for, and I was like, "How am I going to do that?" And then it all just it all kind of happened. People love to feed pigs, right? And then it wasn't a stress at all. Yeah, like loads of people were happy to do it. Okay. So then it all just kind of dissolved, and I was like, "Oh, actually, this isn't a stress. Yeah, this is totally fine. It's it's, it's okay having a pig." And then yeah, everything kind of unraveled from there. I got more pigs, and <laughs> you know, we've got we we've had these pigs for four years, and. You know, nothing's changed. I still can surf. They get fed. Yeah. It's not. It's just have to a different way of thinking and a little bit more commitment. But actually, you can just yeah, your life is totally able to function around it. But it's it's just nice. You're involved in more things. In have you life. always had that trait then that you just described of of rather than worrying about the decision, just taking the decision and then seeing where that commitment takes you? Yeah, definitely. I would. I would like to say I. If I have an idea that I wouldn't just talk about it and not do it, yeah, I would certainly like to try it. Because you can paralyze yourself with uh, with with overthinking things, totally, can't you? Yeah, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah, you, know, you can you can always change, and yeah, you just and you figure things out. That's what humans do. We're amazing creatures that can just adapt to almost any situation. Yeah. So, and did you have you found throughout this whole project that that community? Um, reaction that you've just described is, is I'm, I'm guessing that's a bit of a common thing you know when there's a need for help from the community or assistance and you, you're finding it yeah yeah the right people we find turn up at the right times all the time and it's it's amazing you kind of just have to put it out there into the universe that you need certain yeah. things and it's amazing kind of what happens and just allowing it to be and not trying to control everything and like we try and have roles here so we have certain responsibilities but we're also totally happy for people to take those roles and give people responsibility and all that stuff is really, really healthy and it's a different way of operating a lot of the time. Yeah. But yeah. So tell me about the, the crowdfunding campaign then because it's a really ambitious project that you that you guys are embarking upon, isn't it? So, yeah. So, so, so what is it? What are you trying to achieve? Um, a lot, I suppose, but it's for me, it's already happening and it's going to happen, so I'm not really that overwhelmed by it. I've had it in my head for so long. People get really kind of freaked out of how much I want to do, but it's it's just, a, you know, a well-run community farm. You know, we'll have vegetables, we'll have animals, we'll have fruit, we'll have trees, and there'll be education, and there'll be accommodation, and there'll be events, and there'll be fun and there'll be kids learning and there'll be you know healing and all these different things that communities kind of need and 
maybe aren't getting provided for as well as we could. So what size um, is the is the piece of land that you want to? So yeah, the next it just went up for sale and it was just too good to be true. Uh, it was a 60 acre plot of land uh, right beside of the, the the land we already have. So it was too too good really to not try and we're going for it and yeah we'll somehow make it work so and what what funds do you need to to do this then so the land is three hundred thousand euro and there's twelve thousand euro in legal fees on top of it right so it's three hundred and twelve thousand euro just to buy it yeah and then we have to actually develop it as well and create the dreams on it that we need so it's a lot of money yeah but it's also a lifetime of work and generations of work to to really uh, create this dream I see. So I'm not really stressing on it right now. Yeah. But yeah, if anyone sees this vision as a, a worthwhile idea, we need all the help we can get. You so, know? What, so why should somebody listening to this back it? Because we need these examples, you know, there isn't enough of them. And even in the ones that are in existence, they're often, and it's not to point fingers or faults, it's just we're really into trying to show people and teach people or inspire people to do it as well right and i know loads of amazing farms better than we are but they're they're too busy doing it and they haven't the motivation to really share it yeah and that'd be a lot of what we're trying to do so if we can make this model work that it feeds people it feeds the community year round with all their needs that we need you know there's a healthy place for our kids to grow up and learn about nature and all that stuff and look after a piece of land that every yeah. community should be doing then we'll hopefully help other communities do it so how many would you be feeding in in the vision so our model 50, you're doing 50 we're now, doing 50 right? now for six months yeah and our model will be 150 hopefully year round okay and then we'd cap it at that membership and then we'd try and help another farmer create another 150 membership right because once things go above that kind of number everything changes you're starting to lose touch with people yeah you know management tiers change and it all gets a bit complicated and we're trying to keep it to that level and yeah that's our goal okay right and you've been inspired by what did you say there's 250 of these in yeah, the uk yeah we went to the uk and did a tour of csa farms that have been going for years and they really work and looking online at the ones in europe and in canada and america like there are solutions to our food problems. Like, yeah, but we just don't. I mean, I, I literally didn't know about that. Yeah, and that's, I guess, is what, what the real push is for us, is like people don't know about these great solutions. Yeah. So we want to create a good solution and then really show it and show the step-by-step -step process to actually create them as well. Yeah, okay. And what about um, you've got the Home Tree charity as well right yeah so with the 60 acres it's not going to be 60 acres of vegetables um there'll probably only be maybe another five or six acres of land cultivated ever um it'll be a lot of native woodland um because trees are probably more important than anything you know, we need we need them to breathe they're good for the land they're good for so many things so i'd say we're thinking about forty thousand trees straight away will get planted on the new land wow and there is a f lot of forestry schemes here and I don't want to get into it, but they're not serving us. The, the grant system of forestry isn't creating good woodland. So we, we have a vision of how we'd love to see the... I, I think you should get into it. What's the problem? Ah, it's just a monetary system that people are only doing it for money. Right. They're not caring about trees. They're not caring about the land. It's just about money. And 
So what, you can get grants? Basically, you can get paid to plant trees in your land. You won't have to plant a tree. Someone else will do it, and you'll get paid for it. And around here, because the land is quite poor, they won't plant natives, and they won't pay you to plant natives. They'll only pay you to plant the sickle spruce, mainly, the, the non-native pine tree that yeah grows really fast and makes cash but is terrible for the land in so many ways an invasive species yeah it's it's not native to here it makes the soil acidic it compacts the land when they come into the machinery right it destroys so many things and they spray roundup you know they, yeah. they don't do it very nicely right so we want to create native trees here so what are the native trees that you that you have planted and that you would plant um, when you're starting off with no trees on a piece of land, you kind of have to do the pioneer trees, which would be the alder and birch yeah. and willows. They'd be the fastest growing trees to really get something established. And then after a few years, when they're starting to grow, then you can really start adding in. But what we do is about two thirds them. And then you add in Scots pine, your holly, your hawthorns, your, some of your oak, aspen. There's loads of different trees that we do add in as well. Rowan, like there is loads of the trees, but you mainly go with the ones that are you're guaranteed are going to grow well. And then maybe five or six or seven years, you can start maybe thinning a couple out and adding in your oaks and different ones because then they have more chance to take off. Right. So it's a, it's a long term thing. Like yeah. a mature forest will take a long time. So you have to start off with the young trees first that kind of stabilize the ground and get a bit of shelter. And But yeah, so woodland would be a huge thing that we'd be interested in doing, putting trees around the whole site. So there'll be woodland walks, places for kids to come, there'll be teachings about the woodland, why we plant it like this. You know, there's food in under the trees, there's so many things for the animals, like you put animals under the trees, like pigs are uh, forest creatures, yeah. all that stuff. So it'll be totally a part of the farm. There's a term now that's getting quite widely accepted is agroforestry. So you're planting trees, but still having agriculture. And that's something that we are already doing with our willow. We have willow strips through the garden that breaks up the wind yeah. and gets your leaf mold and you have a that's crop. That's this, right? The wood, yeah, the and, it, and, it, right now. and it dries the soil with the roots. Right. But also you still have vegetables. So you're not just planting willow and no vegetables. You have some willow and this, the, the science behind it is that you lose 10% of your land but you gain 30% more yield. Okay, so so basically the vision that you that you have is for a completely native ecosystem that's self-supporting yeah. and can can reintroduce some of what's basically been lost around here. Yeah, they call it now uh, regenerative agriculture. Okay. So to really regener regenerize the the land and yeah, bring life back in and also feed us. Okay. Know, it's not just about con conservation and growing trees. You know, we're also growing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of food every yeah. every week going out to people and that's that's the difference because there's so many um benefits of that like obviously people are eating local food which is really good for them and that's the main thing yeah but every time you buy something local and not something from far away like the cost of something growing far away in an industrial model and getting transported here the cost of that in the environment to the one that's grown locally is like it's such a big mathematical equation that's not been talked about right so if these farms were in existence and people could get their local food, they're they're not damaging the planet in so many ways because they're not importing and they're not wrapping in plastic and they're not doing the storage and the trucks and the shops and all that, taking all that out of it. And they're just supporting a local member of your community, supporting the land, and you're getting better nutrients straight into your family. And yeah. Yeah. So if you want that to happen, help us make it happen 
as best we can and we will yeah help anyone else get it going and what kind of rewards can people get because that's the whole yeah so in, in, in crowdfunding yeah sort there's of ethos um, isn't it yeah there's rewards so from 20 euro there's like we'll plant a tree give you a pack of seeds and a thank you card yeah and then it goes up to like 100,000 where you can I don't know what it is but there's all the different ones but yeah you like so it's all on the site so if I, I'll link it so people can see it yeah yeah and you've got some films haven't you that the are big one that we're trying to get people to do if you really want to come and see this place because we don't want to do rewards with stuff yeah you want people to come and get involved we yeah. don't need people getting stuff yeah. so what we're trying to do is get you connected to this land and yeah. that's quite tricky so what we're going to do is have a, a small kind of gathering a small festival on the land next autumn next September yeah so if you can buy your festival ticket now that festival ticket will pay for the land and then you'll come and get to see the land and enjoy it and go around it and listen to music and yeah meet people who have also helped fund it and create a community of people who really believe in the same thing and get together with people and maybe help other ideas similar and like it's basically up to us if we want to change things yeah it's not going to come from the top down so it's going to come from people like us who actually really give a shit yeah what's the reaction been like from the local community it's good yeah like we've been here for quite some time just living in this area and I come from a you know a, a kind of farming background so I can kind of relate to them um, there's always things with land and stuff that it's tricky so we're always involving them as much as we can we're always having events that they can come and ask questions we have an event tonight in the local hall is that in Moy Hill? In in Moy itself, there's a in, there's a in Moy, sorry. there's a, just a community centre, and we're on the TV tonight. Okay. So we're asking them to come and watch it with us. Yeah. So you can explain. Yeah, and then they can ask us questions, and it's really important that like the fear comes when you don't tell people stuff. Yeah. But if it doesn't matter nearly what you're going to do, but if you tell them frankly what you're doing. Yeah. And involve them, then they know. Then the, then the fear is out and. We do a lot of work with trying to, like, yeah, involve people as much as they can. Yeah, okay. It's really important. You know, one thing I've really noticed about, uh, from researching this and from following you guys, is there's definitely this feeling that you're all part of something bigger than than, than what you've... Than, yeah. ...than the constituent parts. I mean, was that also... I mean, obviously, community, family, these things, it's clear from talking to you, so important to you. Was, was that that sense of being part of something bigger than than yourself was that always yeah. the goal or was that was that something that just happened no, with like, it that's basically my kind of philosophy when i stopped surfing like traveling wise everyone's like oh you know you had such a great life and what are you doing it's like and i had a great life and i really enjoyed it and now it's my time to give something back and but you're only 24 i know you're only young <laughs> i know but if i want this dream to actually be in because what are you now i'm just 30 now yeah last month and uh yeah, like if if I want this dream to really be in you know, in practice, I had to start early. Like, right. you need your best years of energy to make it happen. Yeah, and I knew that. So the sooner I start, the more likely it'll happen. And yeah, it might seem a bit martyrism, which I'm kind of known for, but it's like this is much bigger than me, and I'm kind of almost of service to it now. Right. And it's not for me to get any personal gain, even though I do every day with the. The joy I see feeding people and the good food I eat myself and yeah. all that stuff, but it is much bigger than us. Like we have a duty to to really do something important. You know, we've seen how many reports and bad things going going on in the world. Like when is enough enough? Yeah, that we ha we're going to stop and do something. 
Yeah, well, it's like when you read that thing last week about how sea salt is now just partially made of plastic or whatever that report was, you know. I see, I don't even read the news anymore because I just don't need the, the you negatives. You don't need that in your head. I just yeah. need to keep but on. You read something like that and you're yeah. like, yeah, when is, okay, is, so, okay, so that's not enough. <laughs> yeah, so like what is the line like that, that we stop driving, stop flying, stop wrapping the food in plastic, like, because they are the problems. Yeah. We know they aren't the solutions. Yeah. So they're a problem. And, you know, I went from flying 20 times a year down to I don't fly anymore. And then driving around the country to I drive barely to town anymore. And my life is happier. Like, it's simpler, but it's happier. And But we have to make that kind of choice. And I'm not, the thing is, like, I'm being quite radical in my life. And I don't expect other people to do well, the same. Well, I was, I was going to, you know, you just said earlier, like, you were known for being a martyr. And, you know, I was going to ask you about that, really, because there's an obvious sort of, well, I'm sure you you get you hear it, you know, like okay, that's fine for him. Yeah, you know, and like that's, that's and I'm well used to that. Yeah. So, what's your response to that? Because it, you know, if, if I was going to be devil's advocate, some it could sound a bit too good to be true. All this, totally. You know? And I'm I'm very aware that people can't change almost like the situations they have, the families they have, whatever the place they live. It just doesn't going to work to be this radical, whatever. Yeah. I see that, and I'm very aware of it. But you can't support a farm like this. You know, you could just buy veg locally. And then if that doesn't even exist, is find five, ten, twenty friends. Get an allotment. If, no, or feels that'd be great. But even less than that is like that feels similar to you. Go contact a farmer locally and say we will support you if you grow us, you know, naturally grown food without chemicals, and we'll pay you in advance. The farmer would be delighted. Yeah, well, that's and that's why it's important, I think, to that people know about these these. Yeah. operations really that you can do that because i think most people you know the, the extent of it is like oh well i can buy a veg box from you know one of these suppliers or whatever which i guess is a start but you know the fact that you can even go even more local than that if you if you know about it and, yeah and, and if there's 250 in the uk there's going to be one near you isn't there there will be one near you and it's yeah. and it's they they're the places that solutions are happening yeah you know and they need support they need if you are near one you need to go down and just give them a pat on the back yeah you don't have to do any work just tell them thanks and keep doing it and yeah. I'll get a box of veg off you. Or like we have, we have a volunteer day, go to volunteer day once or once every month and it's not that much out of your life but you get a connection to people, you learn a bit and once you start that, like the thing is once you start, if you, and plant a tree, that's the one I always tell everyone. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't take very long, buy a tree, stick it in the ground yeah. and you'll feel great. And once you start that, once you do that positive start, then you see more positive things you can start to do in your life. Yeah. And slowly but surely you can integrate a few more things and you're not radically changing anything, but it's helping. And it's just not putting the head in the sand and yeah. that's kind of what we're we're all trying to do. Yeah, okay. Well, and another thing that you've done is uh, you stood for election, didn't you? Yeah. Was I, that two two years ago? Uh, it was... When was it now? Yeah. It so, been, um, and that was a green, green candidate. Yeah, for the Green Party, for general election, up in the main parliament and all that. And it was very, you know, un, maybe realistic from a person not from this county and never been in politics in my life. Right. And what made you decide to do that then? It's just another great platform. Like, well, I mightn't say it's a great platform. It's another platform to say what we're doing here and why we're doing it. Yeah. And that's what I did it for. And it's great because what we talk... Let's go and check out your barn, actually, while we're uh, yeah, while when we're walking. We, you know, and I talk to you, I'm talking to other people who kind of get it. Yeah. 
or are more sympathetic maybe to get it. Yeah. But when, you, when you're on a political platform, you're talking to thousands of people who I'd never speak to. Yeah. You know, I'm speaking to the grannies, the, the businessmen, the people in different towns. And it was great. And not one, the one thing I really loved about the whole campaign is not one person ever disagreed with anything I said. Right. And I wasn't saying I'm right or perfect, but I was just saying about local food and all this stuff. And no one had anything to object about that. Yeah. It's just not been done. And how'd you do? We did it right for a first time. They say, like, I think I got 1,700 first preference. And they say for a first timer, they never really do more than 2,000. Right. It takes about three goes of people knowing you yeah. to get in. But it was really well received, you know, we were really well received by the other politicians, the other parties, which is great. But it was just getting the message out there and talking to people on in their language, yeah. on their terms, meeting them in their like platforms of hotels and radio, yeah. which I wouldn't normally be on papers. So it was getting our message out to a more, making it more normal. Yeah. And, and that, did good. you enjoy that? Did you enjoy that process? I did. I did enjoy meeting people because it was all so positive. Yeah. Um, the thing I didn't enjoy was how exhausting it was. Like I'm sure. You're on call basically 24-7. There's this mad thing that people think that you're kind of, you know, you're just basically, someone can ring you at any time. Yeah. And just kind of hammer you with questions. And they do. And it's full on. Yeah. Like it's seriously, seriously tiring. And I was exhausted from it. But it was a, an amazing experience. And got to know great people out of it and I felt really sorry for politicians at the end of it like people have all these expectations on politicians to solve all their problems yeah but they're only one person you know and fair, fair enough they do balls it up a lot and they have maybe their own personal agendas some of the time but they can fix it it's up to us to fix it yeah like and it's up to all of us to see the problems and start doing the solutions yeah not see a problem and give out to the politician because he's only trying to do his best. So is that, a, again, an example of you thinking, well, money where mouth is kind of time, really? Totally. And, it, like, I did it, and people are constantly saying to me to run again, and you should you get gonna it. You're going to do it? I, hopefully not. Um, <laughs> like, it's not my preferred Once is enough. choice of uh, lifestyle, being indoors and yeah, sure. talking about things all the time. Yeah. But I did it because no one else was. Right. Now, there was no one else running for the Greens, and there needs to be a representative. And so I did it, and hopefully someone else will do it next time. But, yeah, I just lo looked at the system and it doesn't work. You know, that top-down, you know, decision-making doesn't work. It's proven it doesn't work. The politicians that I know and like in that system, they tell me it doesn't work. Yeah. So why would you engage in it? Like, yeah. it's very disheartening when you have clear visions of what you want to do. See, eh? And then it's not happening. Right. You see so many great politicians go into politics and just get so disheartened and because they didn't get to do what they were saying they wanted to do. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I, I couldn't do that. No. I'd much rather plant trees. And well, this is, this is um, actual action, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's tangible. Yeah. Like you can see it. At the end of the day, something has changed. And that's it. And then, uh, that's really healthy for humans. Like, I think we, if you can see a positive change, it doesn't matter how small it is. Yeah. It feels good. You can talk about solutions all day. But if nothing's changed and you go home, it doesn't feel that good. No. So, and it's, yeah, there's so many studies and reports on working in gardens and different things. Like if you do physical work with the earth and do something positive, yeah, you feel pretty good yeah, after yeah. it. So, so what, what, have you always had this in you? This, um, 
this trait, if you like, you know, to to be a leader really in this in this kind of way. I mean, that's you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah, is, yeah, is, yeah. Is this something that you've that you've always done, or is this yeah. quite a, since you were a kid? Yeah, I definitely would always be having my big dreams of like building seven tr- tree houses and yeah, yeah. tunnels. We, we and... always the one that was leading from the front and. Yeah, like I'd always be off fishing on my own and doing things like that. Like that was, yeah, always my thing. And the leadership thing is really interesting because, you know, none of us like to say we're a leader. No. Um, But there's no leaders. No one's being led by any good leaders at the moment. Like, are any of our politicians someone you'd say, he's a great leader? You know? Certainly not in my country. No, and the same here. So if you have a feeling of, I would like to care for trees or plants or you know care for the earth basically and do good in your community you are a leader like like it or not you have to be a leader because if you have that in you to do good you have to go forward and do that like basically the planet is asking you to do that so by you know default if you like it or not like i am a leader now yeah because this is my vision to do this and I'm going to keep doing it. And it's up to me to lead people who maybe don't have it as clear. Yeah. But if you have something that you want to do, you are a leader then. And it's something that we don't talk about. And it was a, a Native American who explained it to me. That is like, if you care about the earth, you're a leader. Right. And be and start leading. Yeah. Well, again, it's just another way of talking about something in a different way, isn't it? Because I guess the uh, the usual connotation... Of, of like being a leader is, is is negative isn't it yeah you know people see it as like a a pushy thing or a self-centered thing yeah you know so i guess it's just reframing it a little bit totally. but what do you um what do you get out of all this personally um then you, you know you've said a couple of things you've said you've obviously there's the, there's the the tangible things there's the food that you eat the community that you've created but could you personally is there is there anything that i suppose really personally it's for um yeah, my family, you know, that they're growing up in a place that there's hope and there's health and there's positivity and they're outdoors and they're healthy. Like, they're the real fundamental things that really matter to every family. But we kind of get lost in we need to put bread on the table, but we forget what putting bread on the table actually means. We all we often go to work in places we don't like for that idea. Yeah. But I'm putting bread on the table by growing it. You know, and being outdoors with my children and they don't have to go to crash. They can be with me and like, that's more important to me yeah. at the end of the day. And yeah, before I was doing all this, you could get quite easily wrapped up in the negativity that's going on. Like it's pretty depressing seeing nuclear plants exploding in the sea and all these different things. Like it's very upsetting to, to live in a place when you have kids as well, knowing that's happening. And the more you listen to that, it's not going to make you happier. But once you get a part, a part of something positive, it could be anything. It could be, you know, doing meals on wheels to old people, whatever the positive thing it is in your life. But once you start doing something positive, it does snap you out of it. And it makes you, like, in a world that's quite turbulent and maybe scary at times, it keeps you upbeat and happy when you can see flowers growing, birds on trees people eating good food, kids playing, like it does keep you, you know, optimistic and hopeful and we have to be. That's where the eternal optimists like we have to be. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well Fergal, that's been brilliant. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for showing me around. Um so bit of lunch. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, lunchtime. Nice. All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Matt. So there you go. That was my interview with Fergal Smith, and I hope you enjoyed it. As I think you'll agree, Fergal is an impressive man. And as I said at the start, the breadth of his vision is really something to behold. And visiting the farm, as I said during our chat, the key thing I took from this is uh, how Fergal is intent upon taking back control, don't laugh at the back, from what he calls top-down organisations. I think it's this sense of purpose, this idea of being part of something bigger and more tangible than yourself that gives Moy Hill its peculiar energy. And there's something that Fergal and his cohorts talk about a lot. And the sense of purpose that is on the farm is, is actually palpable in, in a laid back way. For me, in its gently agrarian way, Moy Hill is actually intensely political. And speaking to Ferg, I was reminded of other movements for rural change headed by softly spoken firebrands. I thought he answered the charges of hypocrisy and the questions of how ordinary people could get involved very eloquently. And overall, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Anyway, to find out more, go check the show notes at www.wearelookingsideways.com or head over to the Moy Hill website. You're going to find links in, on mine to that and on my social media to find out more about the projects and the crowdfunder. And if this has struck a chord with you and you want to get behind this alternative way of living, then donate or head up there for yourself and go and lend a hand. They, they need the help and they'd really appreciate it. And it is an amazing thing to get behind. So personally, I just also want to say thanks to everyone I met up there for making me feel so welcome. Thanks a lot, everyone. And uh, hopefully I'll be back soon. All right, so some housekeeping. I've been threatening it and it looks as though the first live looking sideways is happening. My friends at Finisterre have invited me to chair a discussion with surfers uh, Noah Lane and Sandy Kerr at their Covent Garden store in London on Thursday, October the 12th. We'll be discussing their lives and careers as surfers and I'm very much looking forward to it. It's free. There's usually free beers. Uh, if you're in London, come along and say hello. you find links to the ticket on Finisterre's website. I'll post it on my social media. I'll plunk it in the newsletter. So yeah, hope to see some of you there. I don't know if I'm going to put it out yet as a as a as an actual episode, mainly because I'm uh, currently fairly daunted by the technical challenges of of that. I'm sure I'll work it out. I've worked everything else out thus far, uh, but no doubt if I do decide to put it live, you'll hear about it here. Uh, and if you can't make London, there's an event the night before in Bristol, also with uh, Noah Lane and Sandy Kerr at the Bristol Finisterre store helmed by Dan Crockett who's a really talented writer and I believe one of the people behind Backwash so yeah that'll be a great night he's a smart fella Dan and he's got a lot of interesting things to say about surfing so that would be uh, very interesting indeed so coming next in episodes 19 and 20 parts 2 and 3 of my Irish omnibus with surfers Sophie Hellier and Eski Britain two great chats these in which we covered a huge range of topics so keep your ears pinned back for those Thanks, as usual, to everyone who's been leaving me feedback, even the people that have been criticising me. It all helps, and it's great to hear from everybody. So to get in touch, you can find my social channels on the website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. You can hit me up on podcast at wearelookingsideways.com. And yeah, I hope to hear from you. And in the meantime, thanks for listening, and see you later. Goodbye. Goodbye.